This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, in our series on the life of Daniel, so far we have been challenged to live a life with distinction and confidence in God and also with courage. And now as Daniel chapter 6 opens, Daniel has spent most of his adult life as an exile in Babylon. He's an older man now, probably 80 or 85 years of age, and he's serving now under his third ruler in the kingdom of Babylon. First was Nebuchadnezzar, remember? And then Belshazzar. And now this guy by the name of Darius the Mede. For those of you who may have missed an earlier message in this series, let me pause for just a second and give you a little bit of background. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He and his army invaded Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah, and captured Jerusalem, and they deported a bunch of younger men and women, uh, the best and the brightest that Judah had. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were, were four of these exiles. They were among the exiles that King Nebuchadnezzar took to Babylon. He re-educated them, taught them some new songs, taught them some, a new language, and all of the literature and mores and customs of Babylon. He wanted them to become Babylonian, and he would use these people to build his own empire. Well, in the previous five chapters, from Daniel 1 to Daniel 5, we have seen, we've been introduced to these two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And we saw, we witnessed their downfall because of pride and arrogance. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, his his offspring, were were decimated. Their their kingdoms were were taken away from them uh, in judgment of God because of their attitudes and their behavior. They became very proud and very arrogant, and God gave them over to their own pride and arrogance. So now, as chapter 6 of Daniel opens, King Darius, another new king in the storyline, has set up his government in Babylon, and he has also elevated Daniel to a very high position in his administration. But in doing so... The green-eyed monster of envy got out of the barn. And all of the other leaders became jealous of Daniel because he'd been elevated by King Darius. Not, this is not the first time that Daniel had uh, received uh, honor uh, in, in the kingdom. And so these guys are jealous. And we're going to have a look at the problem of jealousy as it, as it rolls out in verses 4 and 5. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 says, Then the high officials... And the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So these Lower level officials 
absolutely despised the fact that Daniel had authority over them. I mean, at, at, at some point in time, he would have been a young leader. Now he's older. But all throughout his life, I think he was despised because he had such a position in the kingdom. And they wanted him removed. They wanted to, 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 to pull him off of his high horse. Their pride was wounded. And let me tell you, 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 you got to watch out for a man with wounded pride. Look out, Charlie. The, their, their pride was wounded. And, and they, were, they were out to get him. These guys could find no fault with Daniel, remember? Uh, so they attacked the only thing they could attack, and that was his, his connection with God. The, the scripture says that he was, he was faithful in all of his work in the kingdom. All the work that he did for King Darius, he was faithful. They couldn't find fault with him. So they attacked the only thing they could attack. They, they turned their guns on his relationship with God. They conspired together. They were scheming and conniving and plotting against Daniel. Sounds like your workplace, right? <laughs> they petitioned King Darius with a united front and they used deception to appeal to Darius's pride. Verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked." Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So they come to the king and they, they ask him to create a law that would make it absolutely illegal for the next 30 days for anyone to pray to any god or bow down to any god or any man other than King Darius. I think that would have appealed to King Darius's ego, don't you? I think that would have appealed to his pride. He, he thought that was a pretty good idea. And we're told in verse 9 that King Darius signed the document and it became law. And you've heard that expression, well, it's the law of the Medes and Persians, you know, it can't be changed. And that was literally the truth. In the kingdom of the, law, of the Medes and the Persians, this divided kingdom that came together and sought unity together, they had decided that any law that would be put into place could not be revoked, couldn't be changed. Apparently, Darius was a good man. I, I, I think in his heart he was a pretty good guy, but, but like many of us, or most of us, or all of us, he had weaknesses. And in the heat of the moment, uh, when his ego was stroked, Oh, King Darius, live forever. You're the best king we've ever had. There's, there's not been another king like you. We would do anything for you, King Darius. Oh, King Darius, we live forever. With his ego stroked like that, he, he makes a hasty decision. He makes a rash decision. He doesn't think very long about this law that they want him to sign. And he signs it. After all, they're all going to, Bow down to me if they're, you know, 
People are going to make a, a plea or a petition. It's going to be to me. Stroked his pride. Daniel, on the other hand, was very level-headed and sensible and, and consistent in his walk with God. So we've looked at the problem of jealousy. Now we're going to examine the power of consistency as it plays out in Daniel's life. Because when Daniel learned what the king had done, that he'd signed this document and, 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 and this injunction and made it law, and when Daniel learned what the consequences would be if anyone bowed down or prayed to or made petition of any man or God other than Darius, he did what he always did. He responded like he had always responded. He prayed. Verse 10. Once again, he doesn't panic. He doesn't petrify. He just prays. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, <laughs> he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So yes, he disobeyed the law when he knelt down to pray. Civil disobedience. But Daniel had settled that matter long ago. He had decided long ago, when he was still a young teenager, that he would obey God rather than men. How about you? He had decided that he was going to obey God rather than man. And so he did what he had done previously. He got down on his knees and, and prayed. He was a man of prayer who prayed three times a day to give thanks to God, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of who said not to pray. He just kept doing what he'd always done. That's the power of consistency. There was consistency in his prayer life. There should be consistency in, 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 in our prayer lives. There should be consistency in our Bible reading. There should be consistency in our service to the king. There should be consistency in our giving. There should be consistency in our worship. There should be consistency in making disciples. There ought to be consistency in, in sending missionaries. There, that's the power of consistency in the Christian life. There's great power in just doing the right thing. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, or doing it until you feel like it, you just do it. It's the power of consistency. Nevertheless, verse 11, these men came along by agreement. They had already predetermined that they would do this. It wasn't just an accident that they came along and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They did it by agreements. But you see, they weren't counting on the fact that Daniel was willing to accept the consequences of obedience to God. But he was, from long ago, willing to accept the, the, the consequences of obeying God. Bring it on, you know. Bring it on. I, I'm just going to obey God. I, I don't really care what you say or what you do. I'm going to obey God. I have to answer to him. I mean, we live our lives and we play to an audience of one. And his name is Jesus. He obeyed God rather than man. It's just that simple. Uh, maybe you've heard the story. It was in the news recently about a high school football coach who was suspended for praying on the field. You heard about that? 
Joe Kennedy had prayed at the 50-yard line after the football game was over, after most of the players had gone to the locker room, after the fans had emptied the stands. He would just go to the 50-yard line, uh, bend a knee, and give thanks to God for the privilege of serving the high school and influencing these young athletes. And according to one newspaper, Joe Kennedy never asked any of the players to come and pray with him. He never asked any of his fellow coaches to come to the 50-yard line with him to pray. But they did so of their own volition. They They just joined in. He never asked them, never invited them, never insisted that they come. He just kept doing what he'd always done. He'd been hired by this school seven years ago. And so for the past seven years, he's been taking a knee at the 50-yard line just to say, thanks, God, for the amazing privilege of working with these high school students. Amen. And the school all of a sudden was, was getting nervous because there were more and more students, more and more players, more and more coaches who were going with him to pray. <gasps> we can't have that! They're praying at the 50-yard line. Next thing you know, they're going to blow up the school. I don't know what they were thinking, but anyway, they tried to put the screws down. In an interview, Mr. Kennedy was quoted as saying, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to be bold in my faith and I'm going to fight the good fight because I want to set an example for these young men. What would you do? We have to be willing to accept the consequences for doing the right thing. We also have to remember that God is in control even when life banishes us to the lion's den. God is still in control. God was not sleeping when Daniel and his boys got into trouble. He's still in control. So stay devoted to to the right things. Just keep doing the right things and God will be glorified through you. It may not be today or tomorrow, but God will be glorified through your life if you just stay devoted to the right things. Stay on the right things. Keep taking a knee at the 50. Just keep doing the right thing. And because of his confident devotion to God in all things, Daniel also experienced the peace of God. You look at verse 12. Then they came near, these these men who were trying to trap Daniel, they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? (laughs) The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction that you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. (laughs) These guys, oh, these guys are crafty, sly, like slithering snakes in the grass. They're shrewd, cunning politicians. They really were. First, they remind Darius of the irrevocable nature of the decree that he signed, the injunction that he signed. So they remind him of it. 
Hey, don't forget, Mr. King, you signed that injunction. And then they leveled their attack with an accusation that was a mix of truth and slander. It often is that way. People mix truth with slander, and before you know it, you're, you're out. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He, he, wasn't, he was not anticipating this when he put his, his quill pen to the parchment and signed the document. He was determined to rescue Daniel and, make every, and made every effort until sundown to save him. But these jealous men just kept reminding the king that any law duly established by the king cannot be revoked. It is the law of the Medes and Persians. When something is made law in, in, in that season, in that, that, that period of history, it could not be changed. It was irrevocable. And therefore, Daniel had to be executed. There was no way out. I suppose the king could have quit and, or whatever, but that wasn't going to happen. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you, Daniel. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. This is a done deal. And this, this is all the story we had. We, we would just have to conclude. The guy is toast. He has become lion fodder. Him and his three buddies. They're gone. They're, they're being intestinalized as we speak. Having been found guilty of the crime of what? Serving God faithfully? He's cast into the lion's den. You think, well, I can relate to that. I got, I got thrown into the lion's den figuratively because all I was really trying to do was serve God and speak up for God and be God's man, be God's woman and and I got, I got shunned, I got turned on, I got spit on, I, I, I got fired, I, whatever. So you may, you may be able to relate a little bit to this situation here this morning. But my question is, who in the world keeps a den of lions? Uh, what's up with that? <laughs> did every king, did every, did every mayor of every town have a little den of lions ready, uh, you know, when needed? Well, we're not sure, but we do know that uh, those who did have a den of lions, these lions were kept primarily for the purpose of torturing prisoners. That was, that was the only reason they were there. Uh, they were usually starved animals. They were mistreated and prodded and taunted continually so that when they did throw someone into the lion's den, they'd be ripped to shreds before they even hit the ground. That's just how brutal the Persians were. So King Darius knows this. He knows that these lions are hungry. He knows that these lions are going to, you know, rip Daniel and his friends to shreds, and he's sick about it. He signed the law. He made a rash decision. He, you know, it was a, it was a dumb thing to do. He just, you know, he had a 
a brain blurp, and, and he signed the document, and now he's regretting it deeply, trying to think of a way that he can, he can rescue Daniel. He wants to save Daniel, but it's too late. It's, it's too late. And so, verse 18, the king uh, went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. Don't bring me any work. Nothing more to sign. Don't talk to me. Don't knock on my door. But he couldn't sleep. And so after this sleepless night, you know, Darius gets up early in the morning to run to the lion's den to see what happened. And, and, and here we see the protection of God. The miraculous, divine protection of God over his life. Verse 20. As the king came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, no kidding, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him. Not a scratch. He didn't even have a straw burned, you know, from, his, from sleeping on the straw that night. Nothing. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So God protected Daniel because Daniel was living for the glory of God, not for himself. Daniel was living for the glory of God and not for himself, and, and God was obviously not finished with Daniel yet. He had more for him to do. But it, it's clear from history, and it's also clear from the Bible itself, that not everyone who lives for God, not everyone who lives a righteous life, not everyone who is a follower of Jesus, not everyone who obeys and, 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 and seeks to be a, a great disciple of Jesus is automatically delivered from harm. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, it is not always God's will to rescue His children from harm or disease or even death. We turn to a passage like Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as what? The chapter of faith. And he gives us some examples in verse 35. Some of these people who were living by faith were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There are some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who have been imprisoned and flogged because of their faith. For whatever reason, God has not chosen to deliver them instantaneously or miraculously. They've had to walk through this affliction. 
They were stoned, verse 37. They were sawn in two. Yuck. They were killed with the sword. They, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. People who were living by faith. So not everybody gets miraculously delivered in spite of the big fat check you send into the TV evangelist. It might not happen. Save your money. Trust in God. But everyone who serves God continually, everyone who lives a devoted life to God like Daniel, will in fact rejoice when the glory of God is revealed. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Let's rejoice inasmuch as we participate in the sufferings of Christ so that we may be overjoyed, overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Woohoo! Even so, come Lord Jesus, we're ready. You reveal your glory and we'll rejoice. But if you waste your time expecting God to deliver you from every little bit of discomfort in this life, you're going to be disappointed. God's ability to deliver us at any moment is not diminished by anyone or anything or any set of circumstances. God's ability to deliver is not diminished by by anyone, any kingdom, any government. He is always able to deliver us, even when He may not be willing. So the sovereignty of God, the power of God, goes untouched and unscathed in that part of the discussion. But in the case of Daniel and his three friends... God did choose to rescue them. Isn't that great? Now we've got a bedtime story that we can tell our grandkids. Is that all it is? What happens next in the story? Well, Darius, King Darius, issues a decree. Let's have a look. Verse 24. So the king commanded those men, these men who had maliciously accused Daniel, were brought and they were cast into the den of lions the next part is hard. They, their children, and their wives, their dogs and their cats, their pet guppies, everything cast into the den of lions. Why, why did you, first question is, why did God allow that? Scripture is simply recording what was done. Not that God approved of their wives being killed and their kids being killed. I, I, I would say very quickly, God did not approve of that. He's, the, the writer is simply recording what these brutal Persians did. It was very common when men like this were accused of, of a crime that their whole uh, families were wiped out. That's the way the Persians did it. Persian justice, look out. It's an ancient custom. And they're just recording what actually happened. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
So the accusers were cast into the lion's den where they suffered the fate they had intended for Daniel. And then, look what happens next. I mean, the whole emotion of the, of the passage changes again. In verse 25, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, all the nations, and all the languages that dwell in all the earth, at least the, the known earth at that time, peace be multiplied to you, he says. I, write, I, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Wow! I mean, look what comes out of the mouth of this pagan king. He opens his mouth and there's a fountain of praise and worship for the God of heaven. The God who saved Daniel. Go figure. Why? Why does this happen? Because one man, because one man dared to live a life of distinction and confidence in God and courage and devotion to God. One man who would not bow the knee to, 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 to another man who, who, who determined that he would serve God and serve God alone for his entire life. One man. Why did this happen? Because one man was absolutely determined to live a life of distinction and confidence and courage and devotion to God. And he turned things around. At least in the life of this pagan king. He comes to the place where he recognizes that only the living God of heaven could do this. This is a miracle. And so he sends a decree throughout his kingdom. Everybody's going to serve this God. And my friends, if, if you choose to live your life like this, if you choose to, to live a life like Daniel, dare to be a Daniel. I think there's an old Sunday school song by that title. You will make a difference. You, you will. You will make an impact on the guys that you work with. You will. You'll make a difference. You'll make a difference at, at home and in your family when you, when you gather for Christmas and, and the, the, the side of the family that thinks Christmas is just another opportunity to get, to get fall down drunk. You'll make a difference. Eventually, you'll make a difference. One of my cousins, my family's not very close together, but my sister attempts to, to keep in touch with some of the older cousins. And they were talking one day, not very long ago, they were talking about what everybody in the family's doing, what all the cousins are doing, and oh, I didn't know that, and I didn't know that, and what's, what's Dale doing, and what's Bobby doing, and you know, what's Wendy doing? And, and they, then one of them said, well, and, and we don't have to ask about Garth. We know what Garth is doing. You just have to Google his name and there's pages and pages and pages on the internet about him. <laughs> it was my, my, my sister's way of saying, I'm really proud of you. We all know what you stand for. I was grateful to God in that moment for his salvation and for what he's done in my life. But if you choose to live your life like this, you will make an impact you will have an influence at home and at work and at school. You will. 
Guaranteed. It will make an impact. Because people are watching you. But as I've said before, and let's not miss this, that Daniel, this man Daniel, uh, immediately and ultimately points us to another man, a man who, who makes it possible for any of us, for all of us, to live this kind of life, and his name is Jesus. I mean, you could be, you could be the most determined person in the world, the, the most single-minded. I mean, you could, have a, you could have a laser focus on the goal of living just like Daniel, a life of distinction and confidence and courage and devotion. You could, you could all of your waking moments and all of your energy in all of your days could be focused on, on this one thing. I'm going to live like this. I want my life to count. And you will fail. Won't you? Sure you will. You've tried it. I've tried it. You know you'll fail. Why is that? Well, it's because of this sinful human nature that still is part of our being until Jesus comes again. It's because no one can live a perfectly confident, courageous, uh, distinct life, uh, fully devoted to God, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even if you live like Daniel for 364 days a year, but on the last day of the year you blew it, then you blew all the rest. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the standard that God has set. But that's not the end of the story, because Paul goes on to say in that passage in Romans uh, chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, and that's the only reason that we could ever attain to any level of confidence, courage, distinction, or devotion. And since God hates sin, the only way that we sinners could, could have a relationship with Him is by Jesus giving His life to pay the penalty for our sins. Agreed? So, <laughs> the, the pressure's off. I want to say this morning, the pressure is off. You don't need to be perfectly confident or perfectly uh, courageous or perfectly devoted to gain favor with God. You don't have to be perfectly obedient or perfectly submissive or perfectly humble to gain favor with God because Jesus Christ has already gained God's favor on your behalf. Jesus paid the price. He stood in your place. He stood in my place. When He died on the cross of Calvary, He took all of this expectation of perfection with Him. And when we died in Christ, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So when I was crucified with Christ by faith, Jesus Christ took my place and He gained all of the favor of God on my behalf. 
So your obedience to God and your effort to live a life that is pleasing to God is never a fearful payment. I've got to pay God back. I've got to repay Him for all that He's done for me. I've got to keep a list. Have my devotions at least six days out of seven. Read the Bible through from cover to cover at least every second year. Attend divine worship at least four weeks out of five. Give at least 11% of my income. Never mind 10. I want to gain extra favor for God. It's never fearful payment. But rather we live this life. We follow the example of Daniel. We seek to and strive to be, to be confident, courageous, devoted people of God. Simply so that we can live our lives as a hymn of gratitude. Thank you God for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's what it becomes. It's not a matter of paying God back. It's a matter of saying, thank you Lord. As my way of thanking you, I, I, I want to follow you. I want to be obedient to you. I want to be humble and submissive and courageous. I want to live a distinct life. I want to be different. I want to dare to be a Daniel. Be, just because you love me and I love you. Not because I'm afraid of you or because I think you're keeping score on me. So following Daniel's example is an act of thankful worship, not a fearful means of trying to gain favor with God. And I'm just so afraid that there are so many Christians across the country and so many different churches well-meaning Christians Born again Christians who have somehow lost sight of the fact that this is a free gift of God. And now they're working day and night and night and day to please God with their good works. God will never be more pleased with you than He is right now. He loves you. But because He loves you, you willingly and gratefully bring yourself, I bring myself under the moral law of God and obey Him and His Scripture. And I follow Him because of my gratitude, not because of my fear. Does that make sense? And Jesus is the only source for a life like that. He's the only one who can give us the strength and courage that we need day after day after day. Jesus is enough. Let's pray together. Dear Father, Abba Father, we are convicted this morning and we're encouraged this morning by the life of Daniel and his example. The example of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, these men did not worship you because of the gifts that you gave them, but, but because of the God that you were to them. I, I think they'd rather be delivered into your presence through the fire than worship some false God just to escape the fire. So, Father, would you please forgive us when our worship of Jesus vacillates based on our circumstances? 
Lord, we want to worship you before there's a fire, when we're in the fire, if we're delivered from the fire, or if you should choose to take us home through the fire. We want to worship you. And so our obedience to you, our surrender to you again today and in the days ahead. And any effort that we might put forth to live a life that's pleasing to you. It's not a fearful payment for what you've done for us. But Lord, it's a, it's a hymn of gratitude to a God who has met us where we were and did for us what we could not have done for ourselves. Hallelujah. Many, many times over. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And Jesus, we recognize you as the source and the foundation and the basis of power for us to live a life anything like Daniel's. And if you would just give us that ability again today and give us all a fresh start, we would, in fact, dare. We would dare to live like Daniel in our culture. And we would do it together because we really do need to lock arms and do this shoulder to shoulder as the church of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we burn out or we get discouraged way too easily and way too quickly. So as we bind ourselves together in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you breathe new life and new power, new strength and added grace into our lives because we need it. To sing this hymn of gratitude to a God who has found us where we were And did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.